Norman Cousins is an interesting person because of what happened in his life and the way that he handled it. And he had a personal motto that has become something that a lot of people have taken as their own motto. And I think it's a, it's a very good one. Now he died a few years ago, but what happened was several years back, he was diagnosed with a rare heart disease and the doctor told him he would have a few weeks to live. Now Norman Cousins understood the, the challenge of beliefs and what happens in your body when you take on a certain belief. He understood especially the power of laughter and the chemicals that get released when somebody laughs and how much healing there is in those chemicals. And so what he did is he decided to treat himself with laughter. And he got a bunch of movies and he watched these comedies in the hospital for hours on end and he would laugh. Now the hospital didn't appreciate it because he was in a ward where people were believed to be at the end of their life. And they said, it's not appropriate to be laughing like that here. They put him in a hotel by the hospital. He continued to have these movies, watching them hours on end and laughing. And eventually he recovered from this rare illness, lived another 36 years. Now the motto he came up with is this, don't deny the diagnosis defy the verdict. Don't deny the diagnosis, defy the verdict. Now he wasn't only speaking of health. Some people here have parents that maybe said some things like you'll never amount to something. Defy the verdict. Others have had teachers or people that were spiritual authorities speak things over their life that were unkind. Again, defy the verdict. Find in yourself the answer found in what we will see today as we look at the words of Paul in the book of Romans, just two verses. And again, keep this in mind. You can defy the verdict no matter what it has been. A lot of us are our own worst enemy in our thoughts saying, you know what? I tried it in the past didn't work, or the enemy comes along and says those promises of God, they don't apply to you, defy those verdicts. Romans 5, just two verses, 1 and 2, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Martin Luther said this about Romans 5, In the whole Bible, there is hardly another chapter which can equal this triumphant text. Spend some time in Romans 5, especially when you need an increase in faith, challenging things happen in life, come back often to Romans 5. One of the reasons it's so powerful is it uses the word grace more than any other chapter. That word grace in English is gift. So we understand the promises of God in Christ are a free gift. First of all, salvation, meaning nobody earns it. He offers it freely for us through Christ. Again, Romans 5 verse 1. Let's stop for a moment. It says we have been justified. That word justified means declared not guilty. In fact, Hebrew says if we understand the power of the sacrifice of Christ, it will cleanse our conscience. No longer guilt. Now we all have sin in the past. There will be sin that we commit from this day forward that will come up in our life. But again, to see your place as not guilty. Don't carry the guilt. The enemy will whisper guilt. Say, you know what? I have forgiveness in Christ for my sin, for the wrongs. I am not guilty. Not guilty. That's the beauty 
of Romans in this promise of grace. It means you have been declared not guilty. This man here is Mike Cope. He's a minister. He shared he was out fishing one day for grouper. And he said they're very hard to catch. And it took hours on end. But he wanted to surprise some friends with a, a very nice dinner. So hours and hours he was on the lake. He caught grouper, called up the friends. I have a special surprise. He made the dinner. As they ate, he said, what do you think of the fish? And his friend said it was okay. It tastes kind of like chicken. And he was very offended by that. And he thought, chicken? You can get chicken anywhere. I worked all day to catch a rare fish to make this dinner, and you call it chicken. And he said there was a spiritual lesson there, though. Do we come to God's Word and see the richness of the promises, or have they become things that we get used to hearing and listening to? Do we really stop and think the power of being able to say, you know what, all the wrong, all the sin in my life, because of Christ, I'm not guilty. His gift of grace for me. It's something to begin declaring over your heart, soul, spirit, mind. I am not guilty because of him. Years ago, a woman named Michelle in St. Louis put a sign in her yard and it read, Mom on Strike. She actually did go on strike from her kids and her husband. She said, I cooked and I cleaned. I did all this housework. Nobody appreciated it. So I put a sign in the yard, went on strike, and then she moved into the treehouse in the backyard. They thought this would be funny for a few moments, but she stayed in the treehouse. After a few days, the neighbors noticed. A few days more, the media noticed. And all these people began to ask, why is she living in the tree? Finally, the kids and the husband made a contract with the mom. They would help out around the house and they would give appreciation and share that with her. And she came out of the treehouse and came off of strike. But it was a, a fascinating, though humorous picture, though. Everybody needs to know their life matters. This somebody has appreciation that our efforts are not wasted. And in Romans we find a part of our high calling to walk in a place of not guilty and to say my life has meaning because the next part of the verse says we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. To have perfect peace, a rest in your heart, a calmness in your body, a rest in your mind and in your thoughts. That's the inheritance we have. That's why we know our life matters because that's part of the gift he laid down his life to secure for you and me. Peace. Lynn Zimmerman shares what happens physically when you're not at peace. And she says, imagine somebody has a financial crisis where they believe it means they'll lose everything. She goes on to say, with that belief, physically the following happens. Sleepless nights, accelerated heart rate, higher blood pressure, increased cortisol production resulting in insulin imbalance and erratic blood sugar, and then irritability as a result of plummeting blood sugar. 
beliefs, again, that's why they have to become, become something more than we just simply read a verse. It has to be something we take inside so that physically, spiritually, emotionally, we experience the health and the vibrancy that is ours because we have peace because of what Christ has done. This is Jimi Hendrix. He died in 1970, as most people know, of an overdose. He was also known as one of the best guitar players in history. He would talk about his own search for truth, saying things like he didn't want to just be people's entertainment. He wanted to find deeper meaning in life. And he wrestled with addiction, and he wrestled with all sorts of broken, toxic relationships. And he was known to smash guitars and set them on fire. And a few days before he overdosed, he was at a concert, all the cheering, and the screaming, and the applause. And he smashed a guitar, and the audience loved it and cheered louder. But suddenly the cheers got quieter as Jimi Hendrix was kneeling on the stage and he didn't get up. And people thought there was something wrong, that he had hurt himself. And as the people got quieter, he said, if somebody knows real peace, please come and talk to me after the concert. Now, nobody talked to Jimmy after that concert. What do people want and value and need? That perfect peace. Andrew Womack puts it like this. You need to get to where what God says to you is more real than what your body says, the doctor says, the banker says, the people on the news say, or what the government says. You need to get to where God's word is the absolute final authority. And if anyone or anything opposes it, they are wrong. If God says you have peace through Christ, if he says you're not guilty in Christ, Take that and believe that and speak that over your life until it becomes in the core of your being. And if you don't have that sense, ask God and say, please give me an understanding and a sense and a feeling more deeply of that perfect peace. 1929, Roy Regals became known and still today football player with UCLA as having made perhaps the biggest mistake in college football. Roy Regals, his team was playing Georgia Tech and there was a fumble and Regals recovered the fumble, did not know what direction he was facing and ran 65 yards the wrong way. His teammates called out wrong way, wrong way, you're going the wrong way. They chased him down, stopped him shortly before he scored a touchdown for the other team. He became known as Roy Wrongway Regals. His team went into the rest of the game and they lost. But here's what happened as Terry Rowland describes what took place at halftime. The strange play came in the first half. At halftime, the players filed off the field into the dressing room. Others sat down on the benches. Regal put a blanket around his shoulders and sat in the corner, his face in his hands. 
Coach Price was quiet, trying to decide what to do. When the timekeeper came in and announced there were just three minutes before playing time, Price looked at the team and said, Men, the same team that played the first half start the second. The players started to walk out. Regals didn't move. The coach said, Roy, didn't you hear me? Same team played the first, plays the second. Regals looked up, cheers in his cheeks. Coach, he said, I can't. I've ruined you. I've ruined the university's reputation. I've ruined myself. I can't face the crowd out there. Coach Price reached out, put his hand on Regal's shoulder and said, Roy, get up and go back. The game is only half over. Those words changed his life. They should change our life as well. Spiritually, no matter where you are, no matter how many times you've fallen, Romans 5 verse 2 says, Jesus Christ gives us access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace means there's a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, on and on and on and on. And that's part of the reason Paul says you have perfect peace. You're not guilty and you have God's grace to start fresh in this moment. You can simply begin new. Don't deny the diagnosis. Defy the verdict. The enemy will come along and whisper things. Defy the verdict. Sin and guilt defy that verdict in your life. Cancel it, as Guillermo Maldonado shared. Talking about a friend of his, he writes this. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I had a friend who was told he had cancer. He looked at the doctor who gave him that diagnosis and said, I do not accept it. I cancel those words. I cancel those words. That's denying the verdict. His friend went back three months later, cancer-free. Again, some of us here, you might have had parents that spoke things over your life that you need to say because of justification in Christ, because of peace in Christ, because of grace in Christ, and access to the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Him, I cancel those words. Maybe it's something that you've said to yourself over and over, and you need to begin to declare at this moment, I cancel those words. Here's a simple tool that you can use, been used with thousands of people by Byron Katie's. And here's what you can do. I invite you to write this down now and think about this later. But what is the situation, this moment, that causes hurt? Could have been yesterday, could have been 10 years ago. What is something or someone, some event that causes upset? And here's what Byron Cates writes. The only way to believe something about your life or your past is to not question it. And so the first key is to ask yourself, is this true? Is this true? Question. You know, somebody said something, somebody did something. The first thing to do living in a different dimension in Christ with perfect peace is to say, is this true? Maybe the event happened exactly as I remember it. Maybe it did not. What is your interpretation of that event or what somebody said? And ask yourself, is this true? Your interpretation of it. She gives the example of her husband. They were approaching divorce. She said the reason, a big part, was he smoked cigarettes 
caused health problems. She begged him to stop. He would not stop. She said in her mind, this means he loves cigarettes more than me. Anytime you're in a relationship, if somebody feels they're second, third place, there's going to be problems. But then she had to stop and say, is this true? My belief, he loves cigarettes more than me. The second question to ask yourself is, what do you feel, experience, and act like when you believe that first thought? What do you do? For her, she said, I treated him badly, argued, and said, I want a divorce. The third and final step, though, if you didn't have this thought, this interpretation, how would you feel, behave, and experience life? Now do that instead. And she said herself, if I didn't believe I was second place to cigarettes, well, then I would love him and treat him with kindness and show I appreciated him. So that's what she began to do. What happened? A whole new outcome for her life. Again, the only way to believe something about your life or your past is not to question it. The first step is ask, is this true? Second step how do I act believing that? Third step, if I didn't believe that, what would I do differently? Then do that very thing. Romans again, we have been justified, declared not guilty. We have peace, peace that is to be moment to moment rest in him. In Jesus, we have access, access to the throne, access to the promises, access to a different dimension of living. And by faith, into this grace, it's a free gift in Him, we now stand. Start speaking that over your life. Question the things you believed about your past. Begin to defy the verdict and live in freedom in Christ. This is George Handel, 1741. He had been a famous musician. He had entertained royalty. Those days, though, were long past. The queen had died. She was a big supporter. Now the concert halls he filled were no longer supported. Beyond that, his health was failing. He had a rare disease that left him partially paralyzed. And in his mind, he was giving up on life. Though in England, he would travel to France to take baths in mineral springs to find relief from his pain. No more adoring crowds. No more royalty hearing him play. He came home. A friend, Charles Jennings, was there and said, I have written a song. I need music for it. I've taken verses from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I need you to create music for these texts. Handel did not want to do it. He sat down and read what his friend had put together, and he saw some of the verses like, he was despised and rejected of men. He trusted in God. He will give you rest. And most importantly, he read, I know that my Redeemer lives. Handel would say when he read that last verse, it sensed the presence of God. 
in ways that he said brought that perfect peace and it was hard to put into words. He immediately put pen to paper and began to write a new song. The one we know him for today, he wrote Handel's Messiah. And when the king heard it, he was so moved, he stood up and applauded. And now today, still this many years later, when Handel's Messiah is played, people stand up and clap. And Joseph McCabe wrote this about Handel's masterpiece. Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far it is to God. Who could love a God remote? Our God is closer than our problems, for they are out there to be faced. He is here beside us. Emmanuel, God with us. Your inheritance and my inheritance is to be declared not guilty. To be given peace. To have access to a whole new dimension of living because of the grace of Christ. God is closer than our problems. We need to be people living to defy the verdict.